This is Inside Purple and Gold. Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani alongside Tom Schreier. I am currently recording from a bed in a Manhattan hotel room. I am in New York covering the wild road trip through New York City. And right before we got started with the recording, I spilled my coffee all over the bed. So really off to a great start today. Housekeeping is going to hate you. Luckily, luckily, you don't have to like sleep in it. You're not in like an Airbnb or something. That's true. Yeah, that would co- like Airbnb. That would cost like seven hundred dollars. Like the cleaning <laughs> fee would like double all of a sudden, and then like, be like okay, you're never invited back. One star, seven hundred dollars. All of that. Uh, we digress. Uh, we're here Tuesday morning recording, five days before the Vikings host the New York Giants at three thirty Central Time at US Bank Stadium. Me and Tom did not record Sunday afternoon, evening after the Vikings beat the Bears because who cares? That game did not matter. The game was a cluster. Um, Tom had traveling back to to kind of tend to. And like the game itself could not have mattered less in, in, in the grand scheme of things, um, especially considering the 49ers absolutely dominated the Cardinals too. So any hopes of a two seed were kind of shot. Um, Tom, before we get into this matchup though, like did anything stand out from Sunday or, you know, maybe just that nobody got hurt? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's it when you saw Shannon Sullivan on the ground and it turns out, I think that's a, that's a bruise essentially, but you're like, what's going to happen to the slot corner position? Um, Dalvin cook. I'm shocked. Dalvin cook had any sort of injury kind of came up limping and they put him back in the game. I still think it's weird that given how they handled the uh, practices that they only had 11 of the 16 contact practices. And given that you didn't see the, the starters in the, in the preseason, um, I mean, this functionally felt like a bizarro preseason game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised they played a full half. It was not intended as in like, it's not like O'Connell said, you guys are going to play a full half and then, you know, Mullins will come in in the second. Um, there's some situations where obviously Dalvin Cook doesn't fumble in that, you know, I think it was a second drive. Uh, um, and, you know, if Cousins was better in the low red zone, which he admitted was not great, especially against a really bad defense you maybe saw, would have seen them come off the field. I understand these guys kind of think like, if you can get the second seed, you got to make sure you win the game. I think there was a bit of like a cleansing effect, right? Like you had this bad game in green Bay, go get a win in Chicago. But, um, but yeah, it just, I'm actually shocked. They played as long as they did. And as you kind of referenced, I mean, this game was just bizarre, like between the the weird kick that went in and then there was like 12 men in the field and the half, um, the fact that like Peterman threw, threw short of the sticks on fourth down and not really sure what he was thinking there. Um, there was like a delay a game penalty on Chicago that Minnesota declined. I mean, it was just, you said it, it's kind of a cluster and games like that, you worry that a player would get kind of chewed up in the chaos. And it turns out they're unscathed. They're on to New York. They should be pretty healthy entering that game. Yeah. The best thing to come out of Sunday for me was in a game of very little consequence, a player who stepped up quite a bit this year. Mm Mm-hmm. Duke Shelley treated it like it was the Super Bowl mm-hmm. interception in the second half spikes the ball into the Chicago Bears logo almost has to say F you for for letting me go uh, that was a funny moment um, also kind of like in the grand scheme of like the, what that game or what that play mattered to that game kind of funny how the, the reaction was so grandiose um, considering the game was already done at that point the game itself didn't really matter anymore. 
Um, but Duke Shelley has been a, has been a huge pleasant surprise for the Vikings this year. Yeah, no, I was able to grab him in the locker room, and it's always a little weird when you get a player who usually doesn't do a ton of media, and like he's you know like changing and pack, he was packing his bag right. They wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. I think to watch, they said they could watch the the Packers game um, back home, but. Uh, you know, I kind of bugged him and I was like, Hey, can I get you for a couple minutes? And he, he shed some light on what happened there. A, like the interception, uh, he didn't mince words. He's like, Chicago cut me. So they, they, he made the 53 man roster. He's in the hot tub, kind of loosening up for practice or something the next day. And someone taps him on the shoulder and goes, Hey, uh, you're not on the bears anymore. And he said, it's a weird situation where you enter the front door and they escort you out the back. (laughs) But um, he's, uh, you know, there's a little bit of little man energy. I remember Ed Donatello said something along the lines of like Duke Shelley. You know, his coaches told him he was D3. He goes on to, I think he played at Kansas State, D, D1. And I asked him about that. And he was like, no, I was recruited. Like Clemson recruited me. So I'm not sure where that came from. Maybe early in his career or whatever he was doubted. But he definitely, I mean, he's 5'9". He's obviously built. But um, you can see where teams maybe don't, don't give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, having said that, he stepped up for a team that needs him to, given kind of Dantzler's play, given Patrick Peterson needs some help. He can't be two places at once. Um, and for a guy who, like, his his first big moment was in Buffalo, a pass to Dawson Knox, who's a ginormous tight end, breaks it up. I mean, he just continues to kind of build faith among the coaches, among the fans that he can do this. So, I don't know. He definitely played with a chip on his shoulder. He said he's never really had a chip like that, even though he was a smaller player, right, and probably faced some adversity at some point. Um, and the Bears, pretty cruel way for a team that isn't going anywhere to uh, – to cut their own guy. But, uh, but having said that, it's the, the Vikings win there. He was, he had an axe to grind in these two games against Chicago. Let's put a bow on the weekend real quick. Um, and then we'll kind of use segments two and three to, to talk about the playoff game, things that actually matter. Vikings lock up the three seed with a win. And then obviously a San Francisco 49ers drubbing of, of the Arizona Cardinals. Bears lock up the number one overall pick by losing by pretty much actively trying to lose all Sunday. Um, Sands a couple of swings here and there. So the Bears lose, and the Texans win in the most unimaginable way. Um, Fourth and 20, Davis Mills just chucks it into the middle of the end zone. Um, The Indianapolis Colts safety grossly misplays the ball, and it lands like right into the lap of Jordan Akins. Then Lovey Smith, who knows he's going to get fired, I think, says, screw it. Uh, we're going for two. Gets the two-point conversion. Houston wins. Chicago locks up the number one overall pick. And then in the night game, Detroit, with nothing to play for, knocks the Green Bay Packers out of the playoffs. So a lot happening in the NFC North on Sunday. And I think just when kind of things were done at the end of the day, Vikings fans were were happy on, on multiple levels. I The uh, – uh... Yeah, first of all, I watched that Packers game from a bar in Chicago, and there was a diehard Lions fan there. And like <laughs> the fact that he was that emotionally invested in a game that does not matter, right? You think of like the Chicago people obviously hate the Bears. That's actually, I think, um, the Packers actually see the Bears as their biggest rival, right? Yes. Um, the uh, but like these two guys, one a sh- beaten down Chicago fan, uh, just reveling in. Rogers not playing well and all the kind of disaster that was that game. And I think the Detroit guy admitted like it's, they wanted to play to get in the playoffs. And I think the scheduling thing really kind of screwed Detroit, but um, 
but you know they were playing like they had nothing to lose like that one play, i'm shocked no one else has done this where they ran kind of the sweep right the pitch or whatever and then the guy pitched it back and it turned into a flea flicker i actually thought that was a really creative relatively simple play for a play of that you know um caliber or whatever and i don't know i loved it i mean it was so dan campbell right that whole that whole game was dan campbell energy um i do think they set a tone it would have been fun to see him in the playoffs i think detroit's kind of a fun team and also the implications for the vikings going forward that that um you know rogers rogers may be out i also think it's funny that lovey smith ex bears coach ex i think he was a longtime illinois coach just did everyone a solid in that whole state or whatever <laughs> like, uh-huh. like hey i'm going for it i think i mean that's the problem with uh hiring these kind of like short-term coaches right i think houston's had two and um in two years uh what does he care? He just wants to win and go away kind of probably with a smile on his face. So uh, maybe Houston got a little bit of what they deserve there. For sure. Tweet of the day came from Lions safety Kirby Joseph um, Sunday night. And I quote, if we not going, y'all not going either. I don't care. <laughs> that was the Captain Munnerlyn, right? Munnerlyn yeah. had a similar line back in the day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Lions are not going. The Packers are also not going. The Bears obviously are not going because they have the number one overall pick. But the Vikings are going, and they will be hosting the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. Uh, We'll dive into the game kind of when we get back. Tons to talk about. Obviously, these two teams met on Christmas Eve. Greg Joseph winning the game with a 61-yard boot. Uh, If it comes down to a game-winning field goal again in the playoffs in wildcard weekend, I don't know if Vikings fans are going to like that too much. Uh, But we'll get into kind of the whole game when we come back. We're recording this Tuesday morning pretty early, so it'll drop in your podcast feeds probably by late morning on Tuesday. Uh, Vikings hosting the New York Giants in a wild card playoff matchup. Sunday afternoon, 3.30, U.S. Bank Stadium. It's going to be a good one. I think it's obviously going to be close because the Vikings don't play any other games. Um the good news for Vikings is that they are favored by three. Um, if they were underdogs, they would lose by a thousand. They've proven <laughs> that this season. Yeah. Um, but a three point spread for the Vikings at home basically says Vegas sees these teams as very, very similar. Um, Vikings obviously getting the points being the home hosts, but the game kind of, ner- if I was a Vikings fan, I would be a little nervous by this game because it's hard to mm-hmm. beat a team two times in a row let alone two times in a row in, in, in a span of two or three weeks. Um, where are you kind of at with this game right now, Tom? Because, like, objectively, the Vikings probably have a more talented roster. Mm-hmm. This is a team that you just beat on Christmas Eve. You should feel good about, you know, this game as a whole and, and, and winning this football game. Uh, I just get a little nervous when it's, when it's kind of two teams that, that were so close, you know, a month ago. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there is something to that, that the Giants defense, I guess, is well coached. I mean, that's kind of the mantra of the team, right? Is that not super talented, great coaching staff. I didn't, I think we said this after the Giants game, I didn't feel like O'Connell got super out coached in that game. I felt like this was a Donato defense issue, right? That outside, I guess, Peterman and Boyle, right? Like a lot of mediocre quarterbacks played really well against the Vikings, at least down the stretch. And, um, I think that's a chief concern if you just take national people who who obviously don't really care about the Vikings or whatever. Um, 
they don't believe in the Vikings because of the defense. And there's people here who are concerned about the Vikings because of the defense. Having said that, I think the spread will tell you something. I mean, it, I think you usually get two and a half at home. They're calling this a relatively even game and the Vikings can't play it like it is. And why I say that is I know they 11 straight one score wins. I think a way to think of regression isn't that it like all happens at once or you're doomed to fail or anything. It's just if you if you flip a coin and get heads 11 times, that doesn't mean it's any more or less likely that you get tails on the 12th flip, right? And if the Vikings continue to play like they have, this was a 24-27 game, although I think a late score and a two-point conversion for New York, um, they are tempting fate, right? They are tempting that coin flip. And... Mm-hmm. um and you could look at it any which way. It could just be a good drive um, by the Giants. It could be a fluke play, right? It could be an error on an official. Whatever it is, you eliminate that risk if you can step on it. And it's not like the team shied away from it. I can't remember. It was a couple weeks ago. Um, Wes Phillips just came out and said this is almost unsolicited. He goes, yeah, I kind of like to just you know, step on the gas. I just don't know if teams have that mentality in the playoffs. I think they could think about it logically and be like, this is actually the best way to win. This is the most secure way to win. But I think in the actual course of play, right. With, with the tension that you have in the playoff game, they're going to be tempted actually to play pretty conservatively. So, um, I mean, I think it's a major concern, right? The concern is less Dayball completely outcoaches O'Connell or I didn't even think like cousins folds in this game. I think he's been better situationally. Um, Justin Jefferson will be up for it. We've actually, the positive here is that we've seen something from, from Osborne, right? We've seen a little bit from Hawkinson. Mm-hmm. Like it, it shouldn't be, the pressure shouldn't all be on Jefferson, but he'll be ready for this game. It's nothing almost within the first 55 minutes. It's how they handle the last five. And like at that point, are you are you ahead enough that you can kind of just milk the clock? Or mm-hmm. are you continuing to play like you did in the regular season, which seems like the most likely outcome, in, in which case we all have to be prepared that, regression would tell you it you're still not more likely to win that game so i know they say the callus i know they said they've been playing games that feel like playoff games or whatever this will feel different and their best method to win is just don't give new york a chance at some point kind of take the life out of them with the scoring drive or something like that yeah like the vikings are the better team like they're 13 and 4 um kind of amazingly 13 and 4 as we've talked about this year. Can we gloat about this? Like, we yeah, were right. We, we, we did say this. We said this three months ago. So all our diehard listeners, all you guys out there, probably rolled your eyes when, when we had Tom on. This was before Tom was even a co-host, and we went through the, are they going to win this game, yes or no? And Tom said, Vikings are going 13-4. and four. I made fun of him, and here we are, 13-4, and four, heading into the playoffs. So I stepped on the Tom's, gas. Tom's clairvoyant, Tom's a genius, whatever you want to say. <laughs> um, we're just happy to have Tom as a co-host because <laughs> that, that helps our credibility when we got someone who could see into the future. But the Vikings are a better team. Like, they, like you said, Tom, like, they're the better team, and you can't – like just don't leave like any sort of position for, for, you to, like, for it to come down to a coin flip, like you said. Mm-hmm. The, the game on Christmas Eve is a good example. Even though the Vikings trailed in the second half, I think the the, the Giants took a 13-10 lead. Yep, they took a 13-10 lead in the third quarter. Like, for most of that game, it felt like, well, the Vikings are in control. The Vikings are in control. Oh, all of a sudden, New York has the lead. If at any point in that game, whether it be, you know, they jump out to a 7-0 lead, they kick a field goal, it's 10-0. 
Um, I think they were leading 10-7 at the half. If, if they put together another scoring drive and just a little bit more separation, like the game shouldn't have been that close on Christmas Eve. And, and frankly, the Vikings just kind of let the, the Giants hang around. Um, I guess the Giants deserve a little bit of credit for hanging around. But a lot of the times this whole season, it's been like the Vikings just can't get that last drive, can't get that that touchdown for separation or you know a, a big defensive stand when they need one. The Vikings I, are, bet- are better than, than the Giants, and they need to find a way to kind of string those things together um, and just create a little bit of separation in this game. I was I forgot that this was the game that Joseph kicked for 61 yards. I actually thought it was the Indianapolis one, and I think it's just I'm I'm clustering like ridiculousness together <laughs> yeah. because it is it, it is weird to think of kind of what where Greg Joseph has gone in terms of his trajectory. It seemed like in the middle of the season he was really struggling. It seemed like he had straightened out, and then that's something we kind of overlooked in that Chicago game that he missed an extra point. I mean, I think yeah. people are going to go in with some concerns about him, despite you know his his miracle kicker here, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's that's it. It's it's can you maintain, and this is going to be different from the whole regular season. Can you maintain a killer mentality throughout the game? Right. Can you, you, I kind of referred to this earlier, but I think there's a point in these games where you could see where the Vikings could have snuffed out their, their opponent, right. Where you can kind of take the wind out of their sails given mm-hmm. we're mostly talking about inferior opponents, right? The reason, the way we formulated, or at least I formulated 13 and four was that I was like, it's a fourth place schedule. The team had been winning up to that point. Um, and that, um, you know, the caveat I had, which exists obviously now was that I was like, I don't think they'll get to 13 because I just, I didn't anticipate 11 straight one score wins. Um, but, uh, but you know, I think, uh, they've been playing relatively inferior opponents. I, I just, they have to go in with the mentality that, um, that the giants aren't that good. You have to start right. Right. Because we saw like against Indianapolis, it didn't matter how bad they were when, when things spiral out of control, they ended up in a vicious cycle. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think they can't be concerned that if they go for it on play, right. And you end up with an interception deep down the field to Jefferson, that's going to mean New York comes back and scores, right. You have to have some faith that the Donatello defense will hold in that situation Mm -hmm. um, that you could go and score again, if you had to, I mean, I think this is, you talk about kind of like an evolving team or whatever. It does feel like the evolution just stalled out and became ridiculous, right? The evolution was more like, it's almost like they were like a Houdini act where they're like, well, well, you know, I nearly drowned on the last one. Let's tie me up and throw me off the bridge, right? Or whatever. And they were just kind of like, they continue to tempt bait. I think they have to, um, they have to lean into the home field advantage, the skill advantage they have that O'Connell's, mm-hmm. he has progressed as a play caller and as, and as a coach. Um, and I think it's also knowing that if you win this game, they're going to be the most doubted team in the second round. I think people will pencil in just copy and paste what happened in 19, right? Yep. The best way, if, if the team is going to go win in Chicago in a meaningless game because they want to get a bad taste out of their mouth after the Green Bay game, they should have a similar mentality where it's go beat the pulp out of the Giants and give people reason to think, including maybe in the locker room, that they could they could pull off an upset in the second round. So there's just every reason to go in with a uh, a mentality of let's do this for the first time. Let's I'm taking the Chicago game out because it was so ridiculous. I'm taking the Green Bay game out because of Week One. Let's do this for the first time, right? And except for the first game of the season, and really snuff an opponent out. For sure, you just said something earlier, and it it makes a ton of sense, and it's something that I think the Vikings can't. It can't be overstated enough when we talk about the Vikings. Like the start is really, really important on on Sunday. 
Um, because like you said, the Indianapolis game, that spiraled out of control. Obviously, they pull off just this unbelievably absurd comeback and, and, and win. But Indianapolis sucks. Like that, that's <laughs> so bad. When you saw it in week 17, the game started off weird. It, it wasn't necessarily that the Green Bay Packers thoroughly dominated the Vikings. They just got a kick return for a touchdown and a pick six. But you saw that game kind of spiral out of control against a team that is better than the Annapolis Colts. If the Vikings don't start right on Sunday, like the game could get away from them. Because to your point, like even though the Vikings are more talented than the Giants on paper, the Giants have a pretty damn good coach in, in Brian Dable. And I think if things get away, things get hairy early on, if the Giants can jump out to an early lead, I like Dable coaching with a lead. I, I think he's going to find ways to kind of maximize, you know, that point advantage, time of possession. And I think if you're playing catch up because of a couple of mistakes earlier in, in your Minnesota, that's not something you want to do. So the start's super, super important. Um, but I think like when you look at it at the end of the day, like there's no reason the Vikings, like to Tom's point about jumping out, beating the Giants, giving yourself some momentum heading into the divisional weekend. Like, like that is something that is totally within their grasp. I think it's worth pointing out. They started last game, punt, punt, touchdown, field goal, punt. <laughs> that's not, that's not really well how you want to start this one. I think it's going to be t- You talk about the NFC East uh, defenses and the trouble that the Vikings have had all season against them. You talk about like Wink Martindale, who had that famous quote where he's like, I don't know how to coach against Harry Styles. Harry or whatever. Styles. Yeah. I mean, he's very, very wry kind of old school, old man coach. I, I think, uh, yeah, in general, the script has been pretty good, right? For Forever, it seemed like the, the Vikings pattern was actually like, kill it with the script. He came off the script. They were terrible for like two quarters. And then they just made up ground late in the game. Obviously, that's not really a winning formula. That's not how you're going to beat the Giants. But I think, you know, they're looking for a game that it all kind of comes together at once, right? I mean, that's kind of what you want in the playoffs. That we, that's what you gear up for. Mm-hmm. Um, but that opening script weirdly becomes important, right? We, I think we took it for granted early on because that's what worked. Um, this is one where, like, O'Connell, show your coaching chops, right? Get together with, yep. with Wes and, and, and figure out um, how to get it going. There have been opening scripts where, like, I think of that Chicago game in Minnesota where it looked like they're going to blow out Chicago and then, of course, let them back in because they can't do that. They can't just blow out a team. But I don't, I think they had one third down in like the first two drives or so. It was something ridiculous. You're not going to have that against the Giants. I think this is a lot of like third down play calling, right? Because that's when teams are going to go, we're not going to give you Jefferson. Osborne's capable of stepping up. Hawkinson usually is, right? We've seen some third down drops, mm-hmm. but. Um, that's actually somewhere where like a route runner like Thielen should should be impactful. Um, so I think I think a lot of it's going to be, and I think a lot of frustration is like what O'Connell's done on third and fourth and short. You know, I think this is um, you got to you got to empty the bag here, right? You know what I mean? I know it's only the first round of the playoffs, but empty the bag. What tricks do you have to get a third and three to keep the drive from stalling out and either punting or kicking a field goal? So. Um, I don't know. That script's going to be really, really important. I think I'd like to see creativity there. I understand that you got to be a little careful. In fact, it's almost like a reverse psychology. You almost want to be more careful um, and certain of your plays early. And then as you're stepping on the gas, really, you know what I mean? Maybe that's mm-hmm. where the flea flicker with Jefferson comes in or whatever. You know, you show them like, hey, we're not 
we're not going to play to not to lose or whatever. So, um, yeah, a lot of this is like we, we forget as much as the, the Giants aren't a talented team as a whole, that defense is still like the other teams in the NFC East. And like, I think it's a really good challenge. I actually think in some ways this is an appropriate first game, a game the Vikings should win, but also a team that could pinpoint some of their weaknesses. Yeah, you mentioned the script. Like the Vikings have been so, at least early in the season, were so good on on scripted first drives. Um, and and if you're picturing kind of a rocking U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday, Vikings win the coin toss. I mean, they should defer. But in in this scenario, like you you say, we're like we're going to take the ball, and Kevin O'Connell says we have a script. We know exactly what we're going to do. And if they can just march right down the field and score a touchdown on the opening drive of the game, like then they're off to the races. So I, I think, like you said, the script is is important. They need to find a way to kind of jump out of this, uh, you know, on the Giants early. And and I think everything will kind of fall into line after that because I do think at the end of the day, in the playoffs, more often than not, like talent separates. I think the Vikings are more talented. I think if they can jump out to an early lead, like their talent will just separate in the end. Um, when we come back, we'll talk more about kind of what scares us about the Giants. Um, Daniel Jones is playing pretty well, which is something I, I don't think any of us really saw coming. I thought he kind of felt like a lame duck quarterback. Um, he's done enough this year um, that I, I think they'll go back to him. Um, he kind of scares me. There's a couple other guys on the biking or on the on the, the Giants that scare me as well. If you like what you're hearing, give us a follow inside Purple and Gold or anywhere you get your podcasts, also on the Odyssey app. Tom, I mentioned Daniel Jones before the break. He's had a pretty damn good year. And I, I think, obviously, Brian Dable plays a big role in that. Mike Kafka plays a big role in that. Kafka's going to get some head coaching looks um, as early as this offseason. I think a couple of teams have already requested to at least speak to him um, about their head coaching vacancies. So the two of them have combined to kind of get the most out of Daniel Jones. Um, it was almost as if, I don't know if they they truly felt Daniel Jones was their guy when they took over, but they said, we're, we're going to lean into him. We're going to be as confident as we can, and we're going to get the most out of this guy. And they have. Um, he's been really good. And I, I think something that the, the Giants have done this year that's kind of unlocked Daniel Jones is they've got him out in, in the open field, and they've got him running. And you might not think he is this athletic specimen because – he, he looks over like, himself once. <laughs> yeah, he looks like Eli Manning. Yeah, and, but he he is. And I, there was one play in his rookie year, maybe it was his second year, where they showed him running in the open field, and I think he reached like 21, 22 miles an hour, like that, yep. just in running in a straight line. So the guy has some speed to him. He has some dynamic ability to him. Uh, and, and Brian Dable has, has found a way to kind of harness that and use that to their advantage. Um, the game will, I think, start and stop with Daniel Jones. If Daniel Jones is good, the Giants will be in it. If he is the Daniel Jones that we have seen in the past that kind of struggles, turns the ball over, can't be consistent, um, drive in, drive out, then the Vikings, I think, roll. Um, but I think more often than not this season, Daniel Jones has, has stepped up to the plate. Um, so I think in a game of this magnitude, there's no reason to think he's just going to regress back into the quarterback he was two years ago. So the Vikings are going to have to play good because I think Daniel Jones will play well. I think if you're a new coach, you have to think a little bit like within reason, which quarterback would you want as your holdover, right? Everyone's going to look towards the next um, the next draft pick, kind of the next time, the, the in this case, the Giants take a swing, right, in the draft mm -hmm. and try to get mm -hmm. the franchise guy. 
but I think I think Detroit's done this well too, and I, the Vikings might be doing it with Cousins a little bit. Um, the the Detroit turned Goff into a serviceable quarterback, right? A bridge probably to the player they draft that they feel like is the franchise guy. There's been a lot of praise of Daniel Jones from his former coaches, like that he's tough, right? And that like he has kind of these intangibles. He's literally just not delivering as a quarterback. I don't know if I hold out hope that there's this next level he gets to, but mm-hmm. it seems like he's in that like golf, Geno Smith, like think of these guys who kind of just, they don't hurt you. Right. They set a baseline, they set a floor. Everyone else has to elevate the team. Um, and I think that's not a great proposition for the giants that don't have a great roster. Right. And it's like, um, if anything to Jones's credit, he's doing well with the the players around him, but he's uniquely set up to hurt the Vikings because of his mobility, right? Because they're not, because he's this tough player and they're not afraid to run him and expose him potentially to hits down the field. Um, and, you know, you saw with fields, um, you know, I think guys who, who have wheels like that, who, who essentially they're their own check down, right? Like mm-hmm. they're functionally like the running back hovering around near the, the line of scrimmage. Um, there's something about how spread the field is, right? That traditionally thought of like the, the running plays draw the, the defense in um, the, uh, the passing plays spread them out and you act accordingly. Now the NFL, cause it's not just Donatelle functionally acts like there's a passing play on every game, you know, right. It's yeah. like two high safeties and you're moving everyone back and keep everything in front of you. That exposes the field to Daniel. This is gonna be a tough game for like Jordan Hicks and Eric Kendricks, and you know what I mean, guys, guys who are gonna be responsible both for receivers and crossers, um, but also for Daniel Jones and have to keep an eye on him. So um, he's you know uniquely set up given kind of the confidence he's built throughout the year, but also given his skill set to torch the Vikings, and that was something we talked about in the regular season game. So as funny as it says, and it feels weird saying it, you have to take daniel jones seriously in this game he can hurt the vikings he has to be contained i think you actually have to keep him in the pocket and make him make mistakes because he you can't allow him to come off his second read and just go ah just run for a first down you you really have to make him progress through reads and and make mistakes um throwing the ball yeah and and i think if you make him you know you keep him in the pocket you make him go through those reads you make him hold on to the ball like you're going to be able to generate pressure because that receiving core that he's throwing to is lacking in skill. Isaiah Hodges has been a nice story. Um, he's mm-hmm. kind of come out of nowhere and become like a pseudo go-to guy for Daniel Jones. Isaiah Hodges, like Richie James, Darius like- Slayton, like Kenny Galladay caught a touchdown. Like all of these guys, like at the beginning of the year, Kenny Galladay was, was the guy in New York. Um, alongside this rookie, they drafted Wando Robinson alongside Sterling Shepard. Kenny Galladay is so far in the doghouse that he was playing in a meaningless Week 18 game. Wando Robinson blew out his knee. I think Sterling Shepard did as well. So effectively, the Lions, or the, I'm sorry, the Giants are playing three receivers right now that were so low on the depth chart at the beginning of the season. And, and those are the guys that you are throwing to, that Daniel Jones is trying to work the ball to. Saquon Barkley, obviously dynamic out of the backfield. But when you look at, if if you're just able to make Daniel Jones stay in the pocket, try and beat you downfield, beat you across the middle, I like the Vikings as as much as the secondary has struggled this year. I like the Vikings secondary against that makeshift patchwork group of receivers that the Giants trot out. Um, And I think you have to look at that as an advantage when, when you go into this weekend. Is that like, 
the defense has had its warts this season. Obviously, it, we can't talk about it enough. Um, I don't know if Tonatel will be back next year, regardless of what happens yeah. in the playoffs. But you have to look at this as like this is an opportunity. We are better than than a lot of these guys that, on the opposite side of the ball. Because um, I just if 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 the way this game goes, if you walk away from Sunday evening at U.S. Bank Stadium saying. Richie James really had a good game and the Vikings lost. Isaiah Hodgins really had a good game and the Vikings lost. Then what are we even doing here? What was the last 18 weeks even for? Yeah, that fraud narrative would uh, would pop up pretty quick. Um, yeah. I think I, you look at like how Daniel Jones is catered to beat the Vikings. I mean, Barkley or any good running back is too. This is yes. why we talked about the opening script and getting out early, right? Um, if you do, it becomes harder and harder for the Giants to go. We're going to chew up clock either with – um, running Barkley or even kind of like pseudo running plays for Daniel Jones or kind of give him the green light to take off with his feet after his first read, let's say. Um, make those receivers beat you. I you sh- We should have enough faith here that like, I understand the best receiver is going to beat Patrick Peterson at this point in his career. We just seen that Watkins almost did it on the first play famously with the Packers. Uh, he had trouble with like Am- Amon Ra St. Brown. Um, they don't have a guy like that. Peterson should be able to stay in front of all these guys. Duke Shelley, I think, again, we talked about him. We should have confidence he could um, shut down any of these receivers they throw at him. And the Donatel defense in general should be able to shut this down. Remember, it was a 27-24 game. It was as much they gave up a late drive and a two-point conversion as they also just didn't step on the gas. We didn't see enough from the offense, right? So, um, you know, this is where you make a team play left-handed. Playing left-handed is making them beat them with your receivers. You hurt yourself if New York gets out ahead. They have this stout defense that can kind of pin its ears back, and Jones and Barkley run all over you. So in some ways, I know it's simple to say this, right, as we projecting into the game, but at least it's not as confusing as another opponent that has 100 different ways to beat you, right? This is pretty clear-cut. You know if you maintain a lead in this game, as much as they tempted fate in the last one you should be able to win out. Yeah. Because like you said, like with the offense and the, you know, the Vikings offense going up against the defense, like the defense has a little bit more talent on that side of the ball. You know, I, I get the offense of the giants has Saquon Barkley. It has Daniel Jones, who we've talked about, but I think it kind of ends there as far as playmakers, the giants defense, like they have playmakers. Kayvon Thibodeau is really coming into his own Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence um, up front. Like they should be able to kind of generate pressure in the face of Kirk Cousins. But when you look at that game on Christmas Eve, like to your point, Tom, about them kind of just stepping on the gas right away and and, and creating separation, like Justin Jefferson torched him. Mm-hmm. TJ Hawkinson torched him. Uh, the, the running game, as bad as it's been this, this over the past month or so for, for the Vikings, and, and that's going to be an issue, um, I think, if, if they can't get anything going in the run game. Um, I think that's something that, that could kind of derail any sort of a playoff push. Um, still, you should think that Dalvin Cook can get the, get, get rolling here. Like there, there's enough on the offensive side of the ball coupled with the fact that I, I think the giants and their playmakers on defense, regardless of their ability to get after the quarterback. Uh, I think the secondary has proven at least anecdotally against the Vikings that they can't hang with the, the weapons that they have. Um, to your point earlier in the show, KJ Osborne coming on, I, I think that could be a huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge development for the Vikings because y- you would assume that most teams moving forward are going to try and implement more of a Green Bay Packers, Detroit Lions model with Justin Jefferson. 
jam him at the line, help over the top, take him away as, as best you possibly can, and, and then just kind of live with the results of if TJ Hawkinson beats you, if KJ Osborne beats you, if Adam Thielen beats you. Um, so the emergence of KJ Osborne should be big, um, but I just don't know if anyone on the on the Giants can even check Justin Jefferson, regardless of help over the top right now. Yeah, no, I was looking at that box score because again, these games bleed together because a lot of them are pretty similar. Um, Cook 14 carries, 64 yards, and then Jefferson at 133 receiving. Hawkinson 109, and then it just dropped off. Right, it was Osborne with 17 on three receptions. Johnny Munt. Mm-hmm. Thir- uh, 16 Devin cook 13 adam thielen with six i mean i think you need even if it's Thielen's just a red zone threat you need something from an you need osborne to elevate right put a little more pressure on them um the other interesting thing is because you have irv smith back and i don't expect like a hundred yard game out of irv smith but you can use tight ends to chip right because you actually have two guys who who are um, available and flexible and should be good blockers right on, on uh mm-hmm. you know you can line them up in the formation so i'm not saying like Irv Smith is the X factor. I just think it enables something more creative because I think we're both convinced if cousins has time to throw, and this is not the cousins narrative. Everything has to be perfect. I'm saying he literally physically has time to drop back and throw the ball. He's going to torch them. They're not trying to contain Jefferson or even Osborne or Thielen in certain situations. I think they're saying cousins can't get him the ball right if 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 he has two seconds to throw or whatever so i think it does help having those two tight ends back and i think it also helps that osborne's really coming to his own late in the season so um i mean that's that's where it's like small things like that would actually deliver a different result because small things like that get you out ahead in the game and force the giants to play in a, in a way they don't want to that's probably a good segue um into talking about what might low-key be the most important part of this weekend is like Tom was saying, if you can't contain Justin Jefferson, if you can get after Kirk Cousins, like you effectively take away Justin Jefferson. That's why the return of, I think, Garrett Bradbury might be big this weekend. It sounds like he's trending in that direction, mm-hmm. um, at least from the sounds of, of, of what, you know, is coming out of Egan and, you know, reports from Vikings camp. Like, as much as Garrett Bradbury was maligned in the offseason, he's turned into a pretty good center this year. And I think the drop-off, especially with backup center Austin Slotman going down and Chris Reed coming in, like the drop-off between Garrett Bradbury and Chris Reed is significant. So if you add Garrett Bradbury back to the mix, you're not going to have Brian O'Neill. Uh, but Ole Udo slash Blake Brandle coming back. And it sounds crazy that we're like, Garrett Bradbury and Blake Brandle could be the X factors this weekend, but they truly could uh, because I think you're going to get what you get out of Christian Dare. So I just saw a clip. I think maybe Luke Braun clipped it together um, of Christian Dare. just bench pressing um, some defense, some poor, some poor Chicago bears defensive lineman last week. Christian Dare literally just pushes him over, um, looks at him and, and the guy goes flying. Um, you're going to get what you get out of the left tackle position. If you can get Garrett Bradbury up front, I think that does help Ezra Cleveland at left guard and, and Ed Ingram at right guard. I think those three players kind of function as a unit um, as we've seen um, what can happen when, when you lose Garrett Bradbury. I think him being back in there could help kind of for, like formulate just like the entire fortify the, the, the offensive line. And then whether it's Blake Brando or Ole Udo, you just kind of hope that that guy on the right tackle position stands up. Um, if the Vikings can get somewhat healthy on the offensive line, that's obviously going to help 
Kirk Cousins as well. Yeah, I, Chris Reed's been interesting because he literally couldn't do the most basic function, right? At, at least in the Green Bay game where he was forced into action, which yeah. was snap the ball. Yeah. He yeah. actually he's actually a good blocker, right? I mean, it, naturally a guard would be usually better than a center, but mm-hmm. um, but it is. I mean, I guess the saving grace here is that if Bradbury and we should remind people, like he, had, I think he had a back injury and then he re-injured it just like in a collision, right? A, a minor car crash. Um, if so, this is why that's been so extended, but like. If if he's able to get back in, the Vikings are in a better place. Fortunately, this first game is played at home. So you would think you don't have – think of like Chris Reed stepping into San Francisco or one of these, you know, like historic um, teams with these crazy wow. fan bases. Or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think – I think they should be able to function with Chris Reed. Having said that, yeah, the, the fact that you get Bradbury back, and that's just how devastating the O'Neill injury is, that there's a reason why they paid him all this money, right? I think it's like a $95 million contract and made him a captain and all this stuff is that, like, he is a difference maker. And, I mean, I'm sure the Vikings are asking the schedule makers, hey, can we have the outdoor games, you know, like early in the year? Because yeah. uh, no matter the cleat thing aside, and again, I don't know if the cleats were related to the O'Neill injury, right? We know that's why Jefferson was slipping and some of these other guys, like the, the coaches were pretty upset with them um, that they, they were the five studs or whatever. But like, uh, regardless, it just sucks that he got injured in this game that ended up mm-hmm. being a blowout in part because of the conditions in the Lambeau field. So, um it's still it's still an uphill battle. I think the fact that they I think they made some sort of correction in terms of help um, against the Dallas game. So I guess the only positive to come out from a uh, the only loss they've had at home in this blowout loss against the Cowboys is that they learned how to protect Cousins without kind of a full set of the offensive line. And you should be able to implement that on like a poor man's version of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, uh, I, I think at the end of the day, though, like the more we talk through this game, the more it's pretty clear, like the Vikings are the better team. Mm -hmm. And if they can get out to a good start, as we've reiterated time and time again in this podcast, I think they're going to be in good shape. Um, Next weekend against whether it be San Francisco or maybe it's going to be San Francisco. San Francisco is going to beat Seattle this weekend. Yeah. And, and if, if somehow it's not, I think it would be against Tampa or or Dallas. Like I, what I'm saying basically in, in this roundabout way is that the Vikings are better than the Giants. They might not be better than the team they're going to play next weekend. They probably yeah. won't if they win. Um, but you have to look at this game this week as an opportunity to kind of just, like you said, Tom, build some confidence, move forward, kind of put your foot on the gas and and, and kind of drive forward into the divisional weekend. Um this should be a game the Vikings win. They're favored by three. Um, and then I think if we are walking away from U.S. Bank Stadium heading into next weekend, um, the Vikings take care of business on Sunday. Anything after that is kind of house money. Like they're 13 and four right now. If they get to the divisional playoff, I think they will be the most doubted team in the playoffs at that point. Um, anything after that's house money, but you have to take care of business this weekend. Yeah, I think it's it's for the fraud narrative right i mean like what i mean by that is if you if you win this game you take that kind of out of the picture right and then and then it becomes are the vikings one of the best three or four teams in the nfc and i know the nfc is watered down actually gives the vikings a better chance but I mean, it is the first year of the O'Connell regime. There's a reason why they switched head coaches and switched GMs. And so um at that point you go built a baseline right how do you grow from yep. there and i think i think yep. um 
I think from there, I mean, there would be people who call them frauds or something, but like, I don't think that narrative narrative matters after that. It does if, especially if the Giants beat you in a one score game, then it's, well, you did it in the regular season when you knew there was a game the next day or not the next week, right? You didn't do it when it really mattered. And so um, in some ways, this is to extinguish the, the broad narrative is go beat the Giants. Yeah. There you have it. Sunday, 3.30. We will learn a lot about this Vikings team. Uh, we'll be back later this week. Um, I'll be breaking down kind of the game with, with someone from the Giants media. We're trying to lock that down still. Um, and then me and Tom will record Sunday. Um, this game will matter. This game will matter. Um, it's not something where we can just write it off. Like it's a Chicago, the Chicago game last week. If you were really, really looking for that podcast, we appreciate your fan. Sorry. We're sorry we didn't bring it through. Um, but yeah, we will be back Thursday with the Giants host or Giants guest. Sunday with me and Tom kind of breaking down a win or loss um, at Wild Card Weekend. Um, until then, enjoy the week. Um, doom scroll on Twitter if you want. I think this is a game that is obviously going to start to bring out the fatalist nature of Minnesota sports fans. Yeah. Um, but try and enjoy it. The Vikings are playing meaningful football in January. Um, and they will be hosting a playoff game on Sunday. Um, until then, for Tom Schreier, I'm Dane Mizutani, signing off for Inside Purple and Gold. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company.